0: And so this morning we are answering the question, what is the church? What is the church? And we're at the end of Peter's sermon that we've been working through the last couple of weeks. And as, I, as you recall, right before this sermon, the apostles were doing miraculous things. They were speaking in tongues the people who had come from all over the world, really, were gathered together in Jerusalem, and they heard them speaking in their own language. These simple people from, the, from Galilee. How could Galileans know this language? And so they were perplexed. The people were surprised. And Peter, as, as you remember in the beginning of that sermon, said, "Don't you shouldn't be surprised. We've heard this before. If you open up your Bible and you look at what Joel said, what the prophet Joel said, he warned us about these things. We shouldn't be surprised. These are acts of God. He told us that these things were going to take place. And he also talked about Jesus and how David, who was a hero to the Jews, he even prophesied about Christ and how he would come and how even back then, before Jesus was even on the scene, was prophesied Of him dying on the cross for our sins. And yet the cross would not keep him in the grave. His body would not see decay. David even told them about him this morning. And Peter left them with a stinger. Saying, you are the ones that crucified Christ. And as we talked about, each and every person here participated in the crucifixion of Jesus. And that brings us here to our text. Look again at verse 37 and look at how the people responded to this understanding of what had taken place. Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, brothers, what shall we do? The eyes and the hearts of the listeners were opened In the overwhelming realization that they had crucified their Messiah, had cut them deep. It was as if somebody had taken a knife and pierced their heart and they had realized that they were guilty. And when we understand our guilt, the only question that we can come up with is this question here. What shall we do? What a fantastic question that they answered. And look how Peter responds. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So the first thing I want to do this morning is look at the church defined. What is the church? And here's how I want to define the church this morning. The church consists of all people whom God has granted repentance and faith to trust in. The church consists of all people whom God has granted repentance and faith to trust in him. It's to trust in Christ. That's what the church is. That's who the church is. The church is not everybody who comes and gathers this morning. Not everybody in here is necessarily part of the church. It goes far deeper than that. Church is not a building. It's not something you go to. It's not even about becoming a member of the church. That doesn't necessarily make you part of the church. You may be part of the gospel community church, but it doesn't necessarily mean you are part of the big C church. Rather, the church is made of people who have genuinely repented of their sin. It's those who have seen their need for Christ. They've realized that they were guilty, that they were the ones who crucified Jesus. And they needed to repent. They needed to turn from their sin in order to find forgiveness. So what does repentance mean? It it means to change, to take a course of direction. Like you've changed your course of direction. You've been walking one way. From the time that we're born, we're walking one way. All of us are born walking away from God. Nobody is born loving Jesus that's impossible. We're not born that way. We are born separated from him, walking one direction. Repentance means we come to a place where we realize, man, I'm living my life wrong. My life has been separated from God because of my sin. I need to change course and go a new direction. And repentance doesn't just mean a one-time thing that you say, I- I've screwed up and I'm going to change courses. It's actually living out then a different way of life. Like you're no longer consumed by that way of living. That way of living is no longer attractive to you. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we have arrived. It doesn't mean that we're never going to mess up again, but rather we are becoming more and more like Jesus. That's what repentance is. And so the first question that leads us to is, have I truly repented? Have you truly repented of your sin? The person that you were born as, the person that you were like before Christ, are you different from that person? As you read through the scriptures and you see what Jesus was like and you see what we are called to as believers, does your life look more and more like Christ? Are you putting to death the selfishness that once ruled you? Having once been a person who was held by bitterness, do you find yourself at a place where you forgive? Because you understand that Christ has forgiven you of so much. How could you hold anything against another person? Repentance looks like forgiveness. There is a marked difference in a person who has repented. And that is the person who belongs to the big C church. If, however, your life just looks just like those who are in the world, your life looks no different than from the day that you were born, if that's what's true of you, you aren't captivated by God and his word. You're not quick to forgive. Instead, you're quick to anger. In the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those things are far from describing who you are. If that's true of you, then you have not experienced true repentance in your life. And the reality for you to face this morning is that you are not part of the church. You have not truly repented. Now there's some chance of confusion here, isn't there? If, if you read this like I have read this before, there could be confusion to think, well, is it just repentance? Because it looks like there's something else that needs to happen in order for me to become part of the church. Notice it says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins in verse 38. So does this mean that not only do I need to repent, but if I want to be saved... I have to be baptized? And if I'm not baptized, if I don't go into the waters of baptism, then somehow I'm not part of the big sea church. Now that's a controversial thing to, to be thinking about. And so when we come across things like this, that as we read other parts of scripture, it doesn't completely make sense, but then we, if we just take this verse in itself and we don't compare it to others, it we may walk away thinking, well, gosh, I, I wanna be part of the big sea, I I wanna be saved, I, I better be baptized. Well, at that point, then we need to look at the entirety of Scripture to get a clear picture. Like, is this really the case? And even as we look at the Book of Acts, we're going to see pretty quickly that no, Peter is not saying that you must be baptized in order to be saved. Let's just walk through even the Book of Acts here to see things. You can stay where you're at. I'll turn to the page, I'll turn my pages. You can stay where you're at. You can mark these down if you want, but. For instance, Acts 3.19 says, Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. No mention of baptism there. In 5.31, Acts 5.31, it says this. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Once again, there's no mention of being baptized. In in Acts 26, verse 20. Once again, we see the call for repentance, but nothing about baptism. It says this. Declare first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds and keeping with their repentance. No mention of baptism. Now I want you to keep your finger here and turn to Acts 10 with me real quick. (coughs) Acts 10. <clears throat> we're going to see a story. We're not going to go through it in detail here. I'm just going to read the passage. But Acts 10, verse 44, this is about Cornelius and, and some of his friends who had been confronted with the gospel. They were Gentiles. And all of a sudden, their, their eyes were opened to the realization of what salvation means. And it says this in verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things... So what we see here is that when did baptism come? Was it before they received the Spirit or after they received the Holy Spirit? It came before. It didn't come after. They didn't get baptized and then they received the Holy Spirit. Rather, what we understand here as we study all of Scripture is baptism is simply an outward expression of what's happened inwardly. Jesus called us to walk in obedience by being baptized. It's it's an act of obedience. It's not an act of being saved. It's not an act of receiving salvation by being baptized. We are just called to walk in obedience by expressing outwardly what God has done inwardly. And so it leads us to ask the question, why then would Luke write this in Acts? Why would Peter say this and bring such confusion? Well, I think some of the things that we get, We miss in translation here is we don't fully understand what baptism meant for them versus what it means for us now baptism is the same thing it's the outward proclamation of what's happened inwardly but for peter to ask them for call for them to be baptized was peter saying you need to lay down your life and give it all up you need to give everything that you've believed up in order to follow me which is no different than what he's called us to do right but here's the thing It is so easy for us to be baptized. All we gotta do is get in the dunk tank, we throw you under, you come back up, and we celebrate, it's a beautiful testimony for us to hear. The only hard part is for those who don't like being in front of people. But for the Jews in Bible times to be baptized, it was to mean to go publicly where people around who knew who they were would see them being baptized in these pools that were right outside the temple. They would see what was going on and realize what baptism was for them. It was a rejection of everything that they had been taught from the, from the day that they were born. And their peers, those who had, they had gone to church with, those that they had worshipped with, who were not understanding who Jesus was, it would have opened their lives up for ridicule. Opened their lives up for even persecution. So it's not a act of being saved by being baptized then you're earning salvation but rather it's just the understanding that what it means to follow Jesus means to give it all up and they lost far more than what we we lose in following Jesus. Peter wanted them to understand the cost far different than the what many churches do today right come to Jesus and you'll live your best life now we're called to give it all up those who are part of the true church are those who say, I repent of everything that I've lived for and I choose to follow you. I choose to give away the things of this world because they don't compare to you. What is the church defined as? It consists of all who, whom God has granted repentance and faith to trust in Christ as their savior. Have you rejected this world Have you repented of your sin? Is your life different now before Christ? That is who the true church is. Look at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayer. So We just looked at the church defined. now we're looking at the church devoted. What was the church devoted to? What were the things that the church pursued after? And I would argue here that what the church prized back then should be the same things that we are devoted to as well. These are the same things that we should give our time, expend our energy towards, spend our energy for. And as we look here, the first thing that we see is that they devoted themselves to God's word. They devoted themselves to God's word. It says here, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You know, in order to give your allegiance to someone, you must understand the truth behind it. You must understand what they are all about. And unfortunately, we live in a world, in a country that no longer seems to value truth. Right? We hear things like, you, you know, you believe your truth. <laughs> as if there are different truths. If, if, that's, if that's the case then, what your truth may be different from, from my, my truth is. And we have lost our minds in our country in what truth is. And what arrogance is there for us to think that somehow we have better ideas than what scripture says. Earlier this week, I came across a news clip. Now please understand, I, I don't mean this as a joke. I I don't want us to laugh at this. It is laughable to a sense that it makes no sense sense at all. The only reason I share this is because it shows how we have lost our way of what truth is. And honestly, we should be heartbroken for people like this. But the interview was this man who is now identifying himself as a woman. And he was going just kind of talking, or she, I, I don't even know what to say anymore with this, but, like, this, this man was saying that he was a woman now. Not only that, he was a white male who was identifying as a Filipino woman. We've lost our minds. How can, how can we get to a place where we think we're different than what our DNA says that we are? Now, The church has failed miserably when it comes to people who find themselves in this. And we have not cared and loved and come to a place to to help them through this. Is this wrong and wicked and evil? It is. But we must be caring. But as Christians, we have the wonderful thing that is called God's word. We've been given the truth of what we are called to believe. God has given us a gift that we don't have to guess what we should go after. We don't have to guess what we should think. We can come and understand the heart of God. This, is, this book is not about what we should do as much as it is about who our God is. He has given us this gift for us to devote our lives to. We learn about who Jesus is. We learn about who the church is. We learn about what we, our lives are to, be, to look like in light of giving our lives to Christ, the question for you this morning is do you allow the truth of God's word to inform how you interpret the world? Or are you getting swept up into the world where you define your truth? God has given us a standard of what truth is to keep us grounded. Are you spending time daily to meet with the Lord, to learn of who he is? Are you devoting time to understand who your God is, to see how great he is so that when you experience the trials of life, you are able to interpret it through a lens that will keep you on solid ground? And if you listen to last week's message, the English version of the Bible came at great cost of people who spilled their blood so that we could have what we have today. If it's worth the lives of people to get us the English language, it is worth our time to devote to it. The early church was devoted to God's word and we as a church, gospel community church in Goshen, Indiana, must be devoted to the word as well. Be a student of the word. That sounds a lot like one of our core values, doesn't it? Bold preaching, the preaching of God's word, the proclamation of his word. It matters to the early church. It matters to us. Here's the second thing that we see that they were devoted to. They were devoted to fellowship. Fellowship here. You see that right in verse 42. What is fellowship? The Greek word here is koinonia. It means partnership. It means close mutual association. It, it means doing life together at a deep level. Now, this goes far beyond just gathering together. I don't know if you grew up with, with a church that had a fellowship hall, right? We go to the fellowship hall. We bring our potluck dinners. Now, I think those are great things. I think that helps build fellowship. Fellowship. But it goes deeper than just that. Certainly what we're doing now, this is koinonia, this is fellowship. We're gathering together around the word of God. It's about stimulating one another to holiness and faithfulness to God. It's about accountability. It's about getting to know one another deeper so that we can challenge one another. We are called to do life together. We are called to be committed to one another. When we come together as a church, we partner together in Christ. We need encouragement, right? The world is hard. We're going to go into the world. We're going to ex- face trials and hardships and we need other brothers and sisters in Christ who can come along and encourage us. And when we get sideways, we need somebody to come and knock us upside the head lovingly to get us back on the right path. When we're sorrowful and heavy-hearted we need somebody to come lift us up encourage us point us to Jesus that's what fellowship is fellowship is not just coming together and then going home it's coming together getting to know one another going to a place where we know others well and others know us well so that we can encourage one another you can encourage others if we don't really know where they're at it's why we as a church believe so firmly in small groups We don't say we're just a church that, hey, one of the things that we offer is small groups. We believe that we're a church of small groups, and we believe that discipleship happens best in smaller groups. Like, there's no possible, we have three elders here. There's no possible way for us to get to know 150 people intimately and to know well what each of you need. But we can care for 12 to 15 small group leaders who are then caring for the body. God calls us to do life together. Do you have a small group of Christian brothers and sisters who know you well, whom you know well, where you can mutually encourage one another, partner together in the gospel? Whether it's through a small group here or through work or some other avenue where you have people who can encourage you. We need to gather together. God gives us warnings when we choose not to be a part of those relationships. Hebrews ten twenty four and 25 says this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We are commanded to do life together. We don't have a choice as believers. We're not gonna grow if nobody knows us well. The, the greatest growth in my life has come from those who know me best, those who I walk regularly with, who can ask me the hard questions, who know when I'm off, who know when I'm saying things that I shouldn't be saying or, or I'm despondent or I'm distant. That doesn't happen, though, if we come into church and then we leave and nobody knows us. The early church was devoted to fellowship and we should be as well. The early church was also devoted to breaking of bread. Breaking of bread. This was a reference to obedience to the celebration of the Lord's Supper. It's obedience to remembering communion. When we take the bread and we take the cup, the juice, and we remember Christ's sacrifice for us, really, it's a call to make sure that we stay Christ centered. In a world that's calling us to think of other things, especially the church, we can get sideways with programs and things like that. What matters most is that we need to be Christ-centered. Why do we take communion? We take communion so that we remember the sacrifice that Jesus did on our behalf. And as we take communion together, what an awesome thing it is to encourage one another in Christ. Here's a few thoughts about what communion does for us. First of all, it reminds us that the ground is level at the cross, right? When we come to Jesus, there's there's no hierarchy. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that somehow I'm like higher up on the scale. Like communion reminds me that that we're all on the same level. We are all equally separated from Christ at birth. And we all have been given the gift of salvation if we repent and believe. Communion allows us to remember The ground is level at the cross. We're all equal. We're all equally separated from God. But we can all make our way to him. Because the second thing I think of is it reminds us that we are forgiven. (laughs) What a torturous life to remember Christ was declared guilty because of our sin. apart from remembering that there is forgiveness that is given to us because of his sacrifice. Communion reminds me that the price has already been paid. I have been forgiven. Another thing that communion does for us is it calls us to self-examination. It calls us to refrain from sinning that grace may abound. Communion is a serious partaking. We should let communion be an opportunity to purge our lives of sin, to do an evaluation to see, Lord, have have I lost my way? Am I remembering, am I celebrating the gift of Jesus on the cross? Or am I allowing sin to reign in my hearts? Uh, Just so you guys are aware of our practice of communion, we take communion once a month. Why? Well, first of all, we, we don't really have any clear direction of how often we should. There are some churches that take it every week. Zach came from a church that every week they took communion. I have no problem with that. Um, we choose to do once a month because I think sometimes it can become mundane. We just kind of go through the motions. We just kind of take communion, and that's what we do every week. And so let's get past that, and let's move on. And so once a month allows us to kind of pause, not every week, but on a regular basis to remember the sacrifice of Christ. Lord willing, we're not going to just remember once a month, right? Like we're going to remember it week after week after week. Our songs that we choose, we want to make sure they're Christ-centered. Uh, We mix up the week so we don't do it like the first of every month. The reason why is for those of you who serve in kids ministry, if you're serving once a month, then you'll never take communion if we do it on that same week. And so we mix it up. That's kind of our practice of what we do. But we are dedicated to it because we want to make sure that we remember Christ. And we do that through communion. The church was also devoted to prayer. It was devoted to prayer to prayer. We see that right at the end of verse 42. After having endured the death of their Savior and then he returns, he rises from the grave and then he departs again, what do they do? What's the first thing they go do? They pray as they wait for the Holy Spirit to come. They pray, Lord, help us. What's coming? What do we do? And also the apostles walked with Jesus. They saw how he lived his life. They observed the way he spent his time and what he did with his time. And often, Jesus, even though there were people who needed to be healed, there were people who were suffering, he still understood his need to get away with God, his Father, in prayer. Can I declare, if, if Jesus the son of god needed to get away to pray then certainly we are desperate to get time alone with the lord regularly to pray if the church was devoted to prayer back then certainly we are in a place where we desperately need prayer but there's a sad state in the church today and many of us spend far too little time praying, and if I'm honest, there are times where I forget to pray. And if we forget to pray privately, then certainly we're not going to come together to pray. And the sad part of of the church is that how do you make sure that rarely anybody shows up, schedule a prayer gathering. It's usually the least attended thing in the church. It's hard to pray, but yet... If we want to see God move, then we will be dedicating our lives to pray, both privately and coming together. We have the opportunity next week to gather together. We've had some sweet times. And my question for you, what's keeping you from setting aside the first Sundays of every month right after church to pray until eleven fifteen? If there's a good reason, please let us know so we understand why you're not here and maybe we can work around that. But let's dedicate time. Let's, let's go through the hard things of having our kids sitting with us. Look, we have our kids running around. It's distracting sometimes, but it's a good distraction because our kids are understanding. They're seeing the desperateness that we have that understand that we can't go through life without prayer. And I, I would say this. If you have young kids and you want to devote time to pray as a family, I guarantee it's not going to go well at home either. <laughs> It's going to be nuts, but you know what's important for us, to, our kids, to see is that we value prayer. And I think the reason why we don't pray is because we don't understand how desperate we are. And I think in America especially, we've gotten to this place where we are so comfortable. And we can handle things on our own. we got enough money. We don't, what do we need Jesus for? What do we need Jesus when things are hard? And we've just lost the understanding that we are desperate Do you understand how desperate we are? Do you realize, even for me, I am one step away from ruining my reputation. One false move, one major false move for me could ruin my job. One false move from you could ruin your reputation in your work, in your job, in your place. We are desperate for God to move. We are are not above sin. And when we come to a place where we are desperate, then we will be devoted to prayer so we've looked at the church signs we've looked at devoted lastly we see the church displayed the church displayed verse 43 look at there again and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So a few things about the character of the church. This is what... The church, this is what the response was of their lives because of the things that they were devoted to. Because of their devotion being to God, this was the outpouring of that devotion. They were in awe of God. They were in awe of God, it says there, and awe came upon every soul. Many wonders were done. Because of their commitment to the Lord, they were seeing amazing things happen and they realize what they came from it wasn't anything in them it wasn't because they're awesome and amazing people it's because they served an awesome god and so when they saw they, they saw all these amazing things they saw the apostle paul who was saul who was martyring christians who was there at the approval of the death of christians who was arresting christians left and right god radically transforms God radically transformed him. This wasn't Paul coming to his senses and realizing, oh, you know what? I should probably change my ways and look to honor God. No, Jesus confronted him on the road to Damascus and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul had this dramatic conversion, an act of God. They would see people who were devoting their lives to demonic practices, repenting and turning away from that. People who were willing to sacrifice everything, including their lives, in order to follow Christ. And they were in awe. Are you in awe of God this morning as you look at your life, the sins that God has taken away from you? The sins in others who you've seen God make radical transformations in people. Are your eyes open to the amazing God that he is? The problem isn't that God isn't at work. The problem is we don't see it often. The true church is in awe of who God is. Look at verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Not only did they display an awe for God, but they displayed great care for one another. Great care for one another. I mean, look at, look at what they did. Look at how they cared. They were committed to one another. They were united around what really matters most. They were selling their possessions and belongings in order to help those who were in need. Now, if there's any socialists here, communists let me just make clear that this is not an advertisement for that They, they weren't forced they weren't forced to give up their possessions they gladly did it out of the joy of their hearts out of the joy for their savior they saw a brother or sister in need and they sold their possessions and gave it to them as they had need as was as was fitting they loved each other so much that they wanted to make sure the needs of those around them were cared for. And, and can I just say as a church, I, I feel like I've heard so many stories of our people caring for one another in that way. Thank you for your faithfulness, for giving of yourselves, of giving of your possessions in order to care for one another. A characteristic of the church, true church is one that cares for one another. Look at verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. Another characteristic of the early church was joy. Oh, the joy that they experienced because of what Christ had done for them. They understood who they were apart from Christ, and they understood what he had done for them. Certainly, this is an area that has been a struggle, especially in my early adult years. I just spent so many years just carrying my sin with me everywhere I went, just beating myself up, lacking joy, because all I could see was how messed up and sinful I was. And I would just carry that luggage, that baggage with me everywhere I went. Now, I'm not talking about, like, I murdered somebody or I had an affair I'm talking about just like I thought negatively of somebody. And that, that would just weigh me down so deeply until my eyes were open to realize, Ben, that's why Jesus died. He died because of your sin. He died to free you from the power of your sin. He died so that you wouldn't carry it around anymore. And when my eyes were finally, kind of the blinders were taken off to realize, why do I have to keep carrying this around when Jesus has already paid for it on the cross? Oh, the joy that filled my heart. That's why often on Sunday mornings, I can't help but lift my hands and and shout and sing. I'm not saying that's what you have to do. But like, do you experience joy because of what Christ has done for you? The true church is made of those who understand where they were and where God has brought them to where they can't help but be joyful. Are you a joyful person? Are you aware of what you were but who you are now? The true church is one that's full of joy. Look at verse 47 again. Praising God and having favor with all the people. Another thing about the true church is that it's attractive. The true church is attractive. Now, I'm not saying we're an attractional church, like we're going to get lights that bounce to the music and move all around, and we're going to get a fog machine, and we're going to make it really cool to come here. Let me, let me say I'm dedicated to make sure we, we don't get distracted by those kind of things. We're not an attractional church, but rather when we are living out these things, when we are living out the joy of the Lord when we are caring well for one another, when we are in all of what God has done, when we are devoted to prayer, we're devoted to the word of God, when people look and see that we really genuinely love one another, even though we sin against one another, we forgive, when the world sees that, the world is attracted to that. Why? Because they don't see it. They don't see it in their daily lives. Have you looked around to see how many broken families there are? Maybe you've been a part of that broken family. And you understand, yeah, there's, it's a mess. And you go to your jobs, and it's a messed up job place. And there, Nowhere you go, there's hope. But then you come across somebody who's got the joy of the Lord as their strength. Some people will hate us, for sure. But those whom God is calling to himself, they will be attracted to the true church because they just don't see it in the world. And so the question for you this morning is, are you attractive? I'm not saying in the mirror. <laughs> The way you live your life, is it one that displays the character of Jesus Christ that even when the world is hating and canceling and all that stuff, you just have a different flavor to you. One of joy, one of forgiveness, one of looking to understand where a person is coming from versus judging them because of choices they've made. Getting into their life versus just casting them off because of choices. The true church is... Attractive, And we'll end with this. The true church is a growing church. The true church is a growing church. Look at the last part of verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We saw something similar at the end of verse 41. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, will we ever see... <laughs> 3,000 come to Christ in a weekend. I don't know. I think there was a unique outpouring of the Spirit during this time, because remember, this is the beginning of the church. They, They didn't have millions of people around the world who were saved. We're talking about 120 people who were dedicated to the Lord, and then this outburst. So I think this is a unique outpouring of the Holy Spirit. However, the good news for us is that the church never shrinks. Do you realize that? Now, you may look at statistics and say, well, there are less people going to church. The church is shrinking. The church is not the building. The church is not just everybody who attends on the Sunday morning. The church is made of those who have genuinely repented of sin and placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And the good news for us, if that's true for us, Philippians 1.6, is that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. The church does not shrink, amen? The church is only growing. That's good news for us. As long as Christ has, has not yet returned, that means there are people who will still repent and believe. And it is our job to take the gospel to the end of the earth. And Jesus has uniquely gifted the world with the church. Do you realize, believer in Christ, you are a gift to the world. To share The good news of Jesus. We get to be the vehicle that God chooses to use. Are you committed to the church? Are you committed to building up the body of Christ? The church is messy, right? We're a messy bunch of people. But Christ loves his bride And we should love him too. I want to leave you with this quote from Charles Spurgeon. It's not going to be on your screen. It's a long one. But I think it's good for us to understand and see the importance of and beauty of the church. Charles Spurgeon says this. Give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect. And I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not. If I had never joined a church... Till I had found one that was perfect, I would never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it. For it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. Oh, may that be true for you. All who have first given themselves to the Lord should as speedily as possible also give themselves to the Lord's people. How else is there to be a church on the earth? If it is right for anyone to refrain from membership in the church, it is right for everyone. And then the testimony for God would be lost to the world. As I have already said, the church is faulty. But that is no excuse for you not joining it if you are the Lord's. Nor need your own faults keep you back. For the church is not an institution of perfect people, amen? But a sanctuary for sinners saved by grace. Who though they are saved are still sinners and need all the help they can derive from the sympathy and guidance of their fellow believers. The church is the nursery of God's weak children where they are nourished and grow strong. It is the fold of Christ's sheep, the home for Christ's family. That is the church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace, for your mercy. Thank you that you gave your son on the cross so that we could become part of the church. Lord, I pray for those here who Are unsure or uncertain, or maybe some of those who know they're not part of the family. Lord, I pray that you would bring conviction. I pray especially for those who think they are, but Lord, their life looks no different today than it did 20 years ago. Lord, that you would bring conviction that you would realize those who are truly part of the church, of those who have repented of their sin and are outwardly living for you. God, I pray, make us a church full of people who are devoted to prayer. We're devoted to the word of God. We're devoted devoted to fellowship. We're devoted to being Christ-centered. And Lord, I know that when we devote ourselves to those things genuinely, it will produce in us an all of God. Oh, God, may may we become more in all of you day after day after day. May we get in your word and see how amazing you are and that our understanding of you would grow Lord, I pray that we would be characterized by joy. Lord, that we would always remember where we came from, but always remember that you have rescued us. God, I pray that we would be genuinely caring for one another, Lord, that that if we have come in and then left the doors and had no interaction, And we think we're good, Lord, that you would convict us of that. You have called us to encourage one another. We're all to take part in that because we all need each other. And, Lord, remind us that we're all a mess, which means that we need to forgive one another. And there will be times where we need to be forgiven. God, break us from what our country has done to us, to individualize us, Lord. The church is not... For people to get saved and then do their own thing. We're called to be a part of a bigger thing than ourselves. Lord, may you grow us in our care for one another. Lord, and I pray that as we live out what you've called us to do, Lord, that we would be attractive to the world. That they would see our love and that we would express with our words, too, the good news of Jesus. That we would take the gospel to the end of the earth no matter the cost. And Lord, we thank you that you... Are building your church. Church is not shrinking. It's growing. And the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your grace, your mercy that's rescued us. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.